All right, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We started last Sunday a short series called Christmas Town, where we are going to explore the three main towns where the Christmas story happened. Because in each town, a powerful question is asked. Last week, we looked at Jerusalem and the question, will you accept a new king? And this week, we're going to look at Nazareth. Let me begin with a story that a woman named Carol Howard of Avon, Indiana, sent in recently to Reader's Digest. She had the joy some months ago of taking her four-year-old son to the zoo. The highlight of the day was when a peacock unexpectedly showed its magnificent plumage to the little boy. He was ecstatic. He could not wait to get home and tell his father. So that night, dad comes home from work and her four-year-old son runs to meet him and said, Dad, guess what? I saw a Christmas tree come out of a chicken. (laughs) Now, it should not surprise us that Christmas can show up in unexpected places. Because Christmas was first announced in the most unexpected place of all. A town called Nazareth. How many of you have been to Nazareth? Hold up your hand if you've had a chance to go and see Nazareth. A number of you have. I haven't had that privilege. I hope maybe someday I will. If you go to Nazareth today, it's a city of 30,000, 40,000 people. Lots of restaurants, lots of hotels. Tourism is the primary industry. Nobody went to Nazareth as a tourist in the days of Joseph and Mary. It was a pitifully tiny little village of maybe 200 people. It was insignificant. The Jewish Talmud, which is a record of all the oral traditions of the rabbis, it mentions 64 cities in Galilee and never one time mentions Nazareth. The... uh, Jewish historian Josephus mentions 45 towns in Galilee in his histories and never once mentions Nazareth. You can read your Old Testament starting in Genesis all the way through to Malachi and not one time will you come across a single mention of Nazareth because Nazareth was a pitiful little village. Nazareth put the Poe in Podunk. In fact, it was actually a relatively new little village that sprung up to service the needs of a Roman garrison. So it developed the reputation that towns develop that mainly exists to serve military outposts. Later, somebody would say, Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth. And it was in the middle of nowhere that God interrupted the lives of two nobodies with an incredible challenge. Look starting in verse 26 of chapter 1. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. 
Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. He will be great. And be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Let's stop a moment and set up the context. You'll notice it says that Mary was pledged to a man named Joseph. Or maybe your Bible says she was betrothed. Let me explain the Jewish uh, pattern or getting married because it's different than ours in their way of getting married the first step was called engagement and this was typically made when the children were very small by the parents they would be pledged or engaged to each other and a match would be made because you see the jews felt like marriage was much too important a matter to be left to the dictates of human passion The Jewish people would study how we approach marriage today, and they would say, you people are nuts. You take teenagers whose hormones are in overdrive, and you give them keys to a car, and you tell them to go out and find somebody to marry, that's a recipe for disaster. You remember in your Old Testament, Isaac was 40 years old, and Abraham sent a servant to go find him a wife. And when he brought the lady back, it says Isaac saw her, and he married her and he took her into his tent and he loved her you see that was the order under the jewish system commitment vow covenant and then emotions now we do it the other way around emotions and we hope the commitment and the covenant come later and which system has produced better marriages but that's a different sermon the first thing you did was you got engaged and then at a certain point usually when you were teenagers you got betrothed or pledged. Now, this lasted for one year, and you were officially considered husband and wife, but you didn't live together, and you didn't sleep together. You see, this is why Joseph, when he finds out that Mary is pregnant, Matthew says, planned to divorce her. It's why in the Old Testament law, you find a phrase, a virgin who is a widow. That's a woman who's betrothed, and her husband has been killed. And so they're considered married, husband and wife, but they haven't lived together, they haven't slept together. And the final step would be the wedding, which was a big deal. And then they would come together and consummate the marriage. Now, Mary is betrothed, she's pledged, and she is making plans for the biggest day of her life. And in that little bitty town, there weren't very many big days. And it wasn't very hard in a town like Nazareth to plan out your life. She knows what it's going to look like. I am going to marry Joseph. I'm going to have his children, including, I hope, a son. And I already know what I'm going to name him because everybody back then named the first son after the daddy. So I'm going to have a boy named Joseph, and I hope I have some other boys too. And we're going to live here in this little town in relative obscurity and poverty. And we're going to do our best to honor God. See, Mary knows what her life is going to look like. She's planning a wedding. She's not planning a baby shower. And then an angel shows up and says, Mary, God has a new script for you. 
that does not read like the one you've written. You see, that's Nazareth question. Will you join a new story? You see, back in Genesis chapter 3, God had announced that he was not going to let his creation be damned. He was going to reconcile all things. He said to the serpent, through the woman's seed that you have tempted, I will bring a deliverer who will crush your head. God promised to launch a counter-offensive against the gates of hell, and it was time to begin. And he was looking for recruits. And you know what? He still is. And that's why Nazareth's question is so important. God wants to know if you will join a new story. And the reason the question is so important is because of the nature of this story. For one thing, it's a story that some find hard to believe. The angel said, you'll give birth to a son. And he'll be called the son of the most high. And Mary's thinking, no, wait just a second. Are you saying I'm going to put diapers on God? Well, you could imagine her surprise. Look at what she says, starting in verse 34. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Probably the best-known interviewer in America is a man named Larry King. You recognize his picture. He has interviewed presidents and kings, celebrities, probably personally dialogue with more famous people than any man alive. By the way, Larry King is Jewish. He was asked one time, if you could interview any one person Who would you choose? He said, Jesus Christ. And what question would you ask him? Larry King said, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. The answer to that question would define history for me. He's right. Later, the Christian author, Ravi Zacharias, wrote Mr. King and said, Did you really say that? And can I quote you? And King wrote back and said, I did say it. You can quote me. I wasn't being facetious. It all comes down to, is the Christmas story true? Because Christianity stands or falls on the veracity of the Incarnation. This is a hard story to believe. A man can walk on water and he can heal sick people. And and sure, he died a martyr's death. A lot of good people die as martyrs. Why does that matter for everybody else? And what's his business about coming up back from the dead? But see, the real question is, who was he? Because if he was God and he created the whole world, why can't he walk on any part of it he wants to walk on? 
If he created you and me, why couldn't he heal us with a word? If he was God, his death would have an impact on everybody's death. If he was God, no grave could hold him. Who was this guy? Was the baby that Mary held the one who was holding all things together? Did the infinite become finite? Did the invisible become visible? Did eternity really squeeze into time? The Christian songwriter Michael Card wraps up the mystery in a great line. No fiction is fantastic and wild. A mother made by her own child? See, it's a hard story to believe unless you have a God for whom nothing is impossible. But you see, the word becoming flesh is so critical to the story that you can't really be Christian if you don't believe it. In the days of the first church... They would ask you if you believed that Jesus was the Son of God. And if you couldn't say yes, they wouldn't even baptize you. In 1 John 4, it says, This is how you'll be able to know whether it's God's Spirit. Anyone who acknowledges that Jesus Christ came as a human being, as the Spirit who comes from God, and anyone who denies this about Jesus does not have the Spirit from God. God's counter offensive required that his son pour his deity into a container called humanity God became visible God became touchable God became nailable And there is no other story. There is no other story that challenges the Christmas story in terms of wonder and awe and amazement. And there's no one who believes that story that can remain unchallenged. Because you see, it's a story that demands a response. There's different kinds of stories. Some stories entertain, and some stories invite. You go to some movies, they're entertaining. For a couple of hours, you laugh or you cry, and then a few days later, you don't even remember the plot. But then there are some stories that draw you in, and they won't let you go. And days later, you're still wrestling, because some stories want you to do something. Christmas is the second kind of story. And forgive the pun, but the angel's announcement to Mary was going to stretch her in more ways than one. Do you remember some years ago, the psychologist named Holmes came up with what he called the stress test? It was to measure how much stress a person was undergoing. For example, getting married was 50 points, and losing a job was 35 points. Moving to a new city was 25 points of stress. In fact, It's 14 points of stress just to go through the Christmas season. Can I get an amen? Because they said if your stress level adds up to 200 or higher, you're in grave danger of a nervous breakdown. So Homiletic Magazine came along later and they put Mary's life to the scale. 
40 points for finding out you're pregnant. Another 20 points because it's an unplanned pregnancy. More points for trying to tell your parents and explaining to your fiancé. 50 more points for throwing together a quick wedding. Points for having nine months pregnant to suddenly have to go down to Bethlehem. More points for having no place there to stay. More points for finding out some king wants to murder your baby. More points for having to hit the road to a foreign country where you don't speak the language and live on the lamb. They added it all up and Mary's score was 424. God's plan was to bring a miracle to her, to grow in her, to be raised by her, to change the world around her. Do you think she understood? This teenage girl, do you think she completely understood all of the theological dimensions of conception by the Holy Spirit? Do you think she grasped fully the nature of the Trinity? Okay, wait just a second. I've taught all my life God is one, but you're saying God has a son, and there's also someone called the Holy Spirit, and God is one, but God is three. Am I getting that right? Do you think she understood that? 2,000 years later, we still don't understand it. But she understood one thing. Well, if I say yes, it will mean a lifetime of scandal. If I say yes, there will be rumors and whispers and a red mark by my name for the rest of my life. It's stunning. Here is the entire divine plan for redemption. Imagine before the creation of the world and it's waiting for the consent of a teenage Jewish girl. And here's what she said, verse 38. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And the angel left her. That same verse in the message says, I'm the Lord's maid, ready to serve. Martin Luther says there were three Christmas miracles. That God could become a man. That a virgin could conceive. And that Mary could believe it and he said the third miracle was the greatest you see when God comes into our life and says I've got a new script we tend to pray the world's most common prayer thy will be changed we're good at this prayer God I don't like my health change it God, I don't like my job. Change it. God, I don't like my mate. Change them. I don't like my kids. Change them. I don't like my church. Change it. We rarely play, okay, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? What's your will? How do you want to change me and how do you want to use me? What's your script, God? No, we typically pray, God, I don't like it. Change it. And then every now and then you meet a sold-out God-lover like Mary who prays, thy will be done. It's a prayer she would teach her firstborn. 
The prayer the mother prayed at his birth is the same prayer the son will pray at his death. I am the Lord's servant. Thy will be done. I don't think it's the first time he prayed it. And I know it wasn't the first time he heard it. Because when people believe this story, they sign up for a wild, crazy ride. And they do the most amazing and unexplainable things that they would never do if they didn't believe this story. Fred Craddock tells a story about a missionary in China in the 1940s named Oswald Gunther. After 10 years there, his missionary board sent him enough money to buy a ticket to come home for Christmas. So he bought passage on a ship. They had to stop in India. And while he's there, there's a bunch of German immigrants who weren't very well received by the people and were kept in this warehouse. So he went to see them. He said, Merry Christmas. They said, we're not Christians. We don't believe in Christmas. He said, Merry Christmas anyway. What can I get you for Christmas? And after some talk, he learned that there was a particular German pastry they really missed. And they're in India. Well, he looked all over that city and he found a bakery that could make them. He cashed in his ticket home and bought baskets full of those pastries and went back to that warehouse and passed them out saying, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. And later a student asked him, why did you do that? They're not even Christians. They don't believe in Jesus. And Oswald Gunter said, yes, but I do. See, make no mistake, if you join this story, you're signing up for a life of risk and sacrifice. But it's worth it if you've read the last chapter. Because let me tell you something about this story. It has an incredible ending. The angel said his kingdom will never end. He will reign forever. See, it makes a big difference if you know the end of the story. Some years ago, there was this TV station in L.A. that had a contract to show all of UCLA's basketball games. Well, they're on the West Coast. So when UCLA would go to the East Coast to play basketball, the game would be played uh, with a three-hour earlier time zone. And so they would tape the game so that they could show it at a better viewing time for the West Coast audience. Well, the problem is big fans of the team would listen to the game or watch it on the Internet. They'd already know the score. And so they call the station and complain, you're putting the game on when we already know what's going to happen because it's over. But the network manager said, that's right. And we get better ratings when we do. Because most people like watching the game if they know their team has already won. It's not nearly so nerve-wracking. You see, when you know your team's going to win, it's a lot harder to get anxious. Now, you take this story. You've got two absolute 
poor, obscure nobodies who live nowhere. And a little baby. That's not much of a start. It's pretty meager. But Mary knew that the author of the story was also the finisher. And she had a glimpse of the ending. Paul talks about this in Titus. Notice how he talks about the two comings of Jesus, but the word appeared. It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. That's Christmas. To all men, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, the first time He came, it was hard to perceive His glory. He was wrapped up in a little body. But the next time He comes... It won't be hard to see. The first time he came, he had a little baby voice. Next time, his voice will make the earth tremble. The first time, there was a judgment on his head. The next time, he'll be the judge. And the first time he came, worship was an option. But the next time, every knee will bow. This story has an incredible ending. All will see Him. All will know Him. All will call Him Lord. And now you see why it's hard to intimidate the people who believe this story. No matter how hard life gets, they still smile. I told you every town had a question. And every question has an application. So here's your question for this week. This Christmas, will you get on God's page? You see, we spend so much time trying to get God to join our story. Think about last year. God, I want you to this and I want you to that and I want you to fix this and I want you to change them. And Christmas says, guess what? God does not exist to join your story. You exist to join His. I thought of this recently. I was listening to a podcast of a sermon by a pastor in Seattle named Mark Driscoll. And he told about this young couple in his church. And this happened just in the last year. This time last year, they were not Christians. They were living together, but they were not married. And a friend brought her to church. And after several visits, she came under great conviction of the Holy Spirit. And she went home and told her boyfriend, I don't think we should be living together and sleeping together anymore. And he said, I don't think you should be going to church anymore. But she said, no, I think you should be coming to church with me. And he did. And they both come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and they both gave their lives to Christ. They, they separated and stopped living and sleeping together. 
They got premarital counseling from their church. They eventually became husband and wife, joined in Christ. Going to church together. They got involved in their church. She got involved in the children's ministry. Reading their Bible and doing discipleship training together. And then about the middle of last summer, Noah knows exactly what happened. She went for a ride on her bike. She was found later that day in the side of the road. Her bike was destroyed. She almost was. Broken back, ruptured spleen, arm just mangled. Severe head trauma. She was in a coma for days and days. But when she came to, she asked that Pastor Mark would come see her. And he says in the sermon, so I'm driving to the hospital thinking, what she want to know? What can I say? He walks in the room and she said, and you would expect this question of a new Christian. Did God do this to me? He said, oh no. Now, Jesus has been anointed king, but he hasn't yet been appointed king. We're still in that time of waiting for the return. Evil is still real, and there's still a war going on. And what happened to you was evil. She said, I thought so. He said, so, what are you thinking? And she said, I'm thinking Jesus must really love me. I hurt every day. And when I think that he would suffer for me, he must really love me. She said, that's what I tell my nurses and my doctors and my therapists. I tell everybody who comes to see me about Jesus. What else are you thinking? She said, I'm thinking my husband must really love me. Before he met Jesus... He was so selfish. Side note to the single ladies. Without Jesus, selfish man is standard issue. That's how they come. She said, but now. He spent every moment in this room until I came to. And now he takes turns with my mother who's also accepted Christ And one spends a night with me, and then the other night, the next one comes. And when he goes home, he sleeps on the couch. He said, I'm not going to sleep on our bed again until I sleep there with you. And Pastor Mark said to him, I'm real proud of you. And he said, oh, no. He said, it's Jesus. There's no way the man I used to be could love anybody like this and you know I wish I could tie a pretty little bow on the end of their story but I can't she will deal with physical and perhaps mental difficulties for the rest of her life her story is not going the way she once wrote it But that's okay. They've joined a new story. And with bravery and courage and even 
joy. They're surviving. That's the power of the story. And can I tell you something? God is going to finish this story. Whether you join it or not. But it would be so much better. If you joined it. That's the question this week. This is your Nazareth moment. Whose story are you living for? Can I ask you to stand up now? And as you're standing, I'd like to ask the elders and prayer team to take their places in the aisles or along the wall here. Maybe a couple in the balcony. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray now that you would bless this audience of assembled people to do the hard, hard, hard business of really evaluating their lives. Whose page are we on right now? Am I living for God and His story? Or am I still expecting God to exist for mine? Deliver us, God, from self-absorption and bitterness and pity. Fill us with the joy of the Holy Spirit that we can be a part of something so big, so grand, and destined for such a finish. We ask this blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing the story. We really are going to just sing the story. And you've got these people now in the aisles that are just standing there. And they'd be happy just to pray with you right now if you're having trouble getting on God's page. Can I get a, at least one couple over here and one in this aisle, please? And uh, we're going to pray with you. And if you would like to join the story, if you'd like to come and be baptized into Jesus Christ, you can come right now while we sing the story.